Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me here in the studio is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to come to your home this evening. If you're thinking to yourself, Nathan, I don't know if my question is applicable. I don't know if it's inbounds. Listen, if you have a question that applies to life, it applies to the Bible, it applies to you don't even have to claim to be a Christian or a believer. Uh, If you have a question and you want to know what the Bible says about a particular topic or how it should be applied, give us a call and we would be glad to answer it from a biblical worldview. Now, before we jump into our continued topic on the death of Christ, we are going to answer a couple of questions that have come in since last week's episode. This one comes in in relation to last week's episode. It says, Good night, Pastor. In relation to your previous episode, if Christ wasn't crucified on Friday, why do you have a Good Friday service? Well, I'm not too sure he wasn't crucified on Friday. I mean, there are people, uh, two views on the matter. Uh, there are those that believe he's crucified on Wednesday because it's supposed to be three days and three nights uh, in the grave. Um, R.A. Torrey is one of those people who have advocated this. There are other people that are able to show you that, according to the Jewish custom, that part of a day was considered a whole day. Okay. So that is why there's no real clarity on whether or not it was on Wednesday or on, on Friday. The, the point is, though, quite frankly, is that we don't know the specific day. Uh, we know the year, but not the specific day. But what has happened um, with the Christian institution is that the church fathers really wanted to establish a calendar that would bring to highlight the events that were significant in the life of the church. And uh, and they did that so that they'd have some focus on it. So they came up with um, Good Friday. They came up with, uh, with the uh, Easter Sunday. They came up with uh, Christmas, etc., etc. These are historical landmarks. That even though you don't need specificity of it, the significance of that is to memorize what took place. So it's it's good to emphasize the death of Christ. And what better day to do that than to have a special day where you focus on the death of Christ? Uh, same thing about uh, the incarnation. Uh, the fact that he came, and what a better time for the church to, to focus on that uh, again than the, the incarnation, which is the Christmas season, and then, of course, the, the uh, Easter Sunday. So these are significant landmarks, the incarnation, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and these are days that have been earmarked on the calendar for the church to remind uh, not only its members, but also to preach 
generally to the public. As I have said before in the previous program, I cannot speak in regard to Antigua, but I can tell you being from Barbados, there are three times a year that every Barbadian will normally try to get himself into church, and that is uh, Christmas morning, Easter, um, back, uh, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Uh, if anybody's going to go to church in Barbados to be there in those three days. And I think the church has an opportunity uh, to use the Word of God to explain Christ's death, His resurrection, of course, in the Incarnation. So I think it has some benefit to it. Uh, I know that the Baptist fraternity, uh, most in Antigua, don't really celebrate like Good Friday. We don't have a service on Good Friday. I think that's a mistake, quite frankly, because, again, you're trying to reach people. If people are coming to church on that day, you preach about his death. At least we know he died. We know why he died. We know the whole uh, story of his death. And that gives you an opportunity to present the gospel to people who would not normally be in church. So I don't I don't see it as something negative. Uh, I think it is something that we should use it as a means to a greater end of sharing the glad tidings of Christ's death and his resurrection. Uh, so that is why I would um, I have no adverse uh, feelings towards those who celebrate it. I think it's a good thing. Uh, if the death of Christ is emphasized and the resurrection is emphasized and the incarnation is emphasized, I think that this has done a, a great job in, 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 in emphasizing these great biblical doctrines that are the, the bulwark of uh, Christianity. And one other item before we jump into our topic for the night, and it's a video that was brought to our attention, and I'm going to share some audio from it, a couple minutes of audio from this video clip so that you get the context and then Pastor will share thoughts from a biblical worldview. Yes, Steve, it's, it's pretty shocking. It, it, this is a story that is one of the most uh, troubling stories that you haven't heard of, meaning the average American hasn't heard of. You've got a member of parliament in Finland who literally just tweeted out a Bible verse, scripture from the book of Romans, from the Bible, uh, talking about the issue of uh, LGBTQ type issues in Finland. And now she's facing charges, facing two years of jail time. A bishop uh, then echoed that sentiment. And this bishop is similarly facing up to two years of jail time. Now, people can disagree about issues. Right. But if you're talking about putting people in jail for quoting the Bible, and then the prosecutor said that the Bible can't quote Trump finish law. The prosecutor said, don't worry, you can keep your Bibles, but you know what? You just can't say you agree with it. That This is a really <laughs> chilling reality in a Western civilization country. This isn't Iran. This isn't China. This is Finland. And the American people need to know this is coming to a theater near you, and it's coming to you in the form of the Equality Act, which is why I opposed it, because that would similarly start to criminalize the way that we approach our disagreements on issues when they're based on our faith. And I know Tony uh, has spoken eloquently about this before. And, and Tony, you say the Bible essentially is on trial. It is. Uh, Steve, faith is at the stake. The Bible is on trial. The outcome of Pave and Johanna's case could literally criminalize the Christian faith and free speech. Now, this case, as Chip said, is a warning to the Western world that, quite frankly, has been asleep in the pew. And this is not about some theologically remote part of Scripture. The prosecution, as you played in the intro of this, made clear that this is about the heart of the gospel, the use of the word sin, they said, can be harmful and therefore illegal. And this, of course, is the core teaching of the gospel that we're all sinners and we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And Tony, can you imagine if... Pastor, what are your 
thoughts. Obviously, that's a very sobering uh, video. But what are your thoughts? Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I knew it was coming at some point in time. I didn't know exactly how soon it would come. But it's very, very clear that the LBGT group who have lobbyists who influence governments, the intention ultimately is to muzzle uh, any opposition to their lifestyle. And, uh, and the greatest obstacle to their lifestyle is the Bible because there's no other book, uh, religious book, that speaks so clearly against this abomination than the Scriptures itself. So you're going to find that this is something going to become very increasingly common within the Western civilization. The Western civilization, which was built on Judeo-Christian principles and ideology, has now shifted to a secular ideology. And uh, the Christianity is now seen offensive to those who hold a secular view. And uh, to try to create an egalitarian society where everybody seems to be equal, any challenge to anybody who says that this is their particular way they were born and their lifestyle is seen as though um, you are uh, going against uh, the law of equality. The Equality Act, for example, in America, again, you're going to find that that's going to be used again and again to discriminate against Christians who hold positions. Pastors uh, are going to find themselves in great difficulty when they're preaching for the pulpit or preaching in public, if they're having open-air meetings or having um, tent meetings. Uh, I think I mentioned some time ago that in Canada, for example, you cannot openly condemn homosexuality as a pastor. You can be charged, and you would either be incarcerated or you pay a hefty fine. So I think this is a trend that is going to uh, uh, increasingly become common within the the uh, the Western civilization, and we ought to prepare for that eventuality. Now imagine uh, the prosecution is saying, quite frankly, that you, it's not proper to use the word sin. I mean, you take sin out of the Bible, you don't have a Bible, you don't have salvation, you don't have any, anything. To, uh, Why do you need salvation? If <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then he's saying, you know, if you, uh, you can hold to the Bible, but you don't have to agree with it. Well, what's the purpose of having the Bible if you can't, can't agree with yeah. it? But I think this is a, a trend that is, is going to become increasingly common, and I think that we here in the Caribbean ought to be pure, because when those countries spit, we get the flu over here. And I think that this is coming, and we ought to be pure ourselves, because... Uh, I think that uh, the time is coming when people, pastors, are going to be incarcerated uh, because I will not be silent against this abomination. Whatever God condemns, I will condemn. Whatever God abominates, I would abominate. And I make no apologies for that whatsoever. We are not here to win friends and influence people. We're here to preach the gospel to declare truth. And the word of God is truth. And uh, if we are silent on these matters... Uh, I think that silence is the greatest crime. Uh, I think if you listen to the video further, it says that the greatest crime against the what took place in Nazi Germany was the silence of the church. By the time the church, uh, it, it, first of all, it compromised with Hitler and sided with Hitler because they saw Hitler as the savior of Germany. And then uh, they closed their eyes to all the atrocities Hitler was committing. And then when the whole war was over, it realized that the church was part of the whole cabal and uh, facilitated. That's why there's such a, a, a great antipathy towards Christianity by the Jews. They can't believe that Christianity in, in, in Germany uh, encouraged, endorsed, and hid and supported the, the, the Holocaust. And that's why they have this strong antipathy against Christianity. It's very unfortunate. But I think we here in the Caribbean have to be prepared for this and uh, steal ourselves uh, that wherever it comes, we're not going to bend or kowtow or surrender. We're going to take our stand. If we mean that we've incarcerated or put in prison, 
so be it. You know, you think about Christianity, we've become so soft yeah. that we're trying to accommodate uh, uh, ingratiate ourselves in favor of the government, etc., etc. Well, we don't understand that Christianity has always had a clash on these matters. We, the first century Christians in the book of Acts, the clash they ran into by the authorities who said, You must not speak to this in this name. You must not say that we crucified him and God raised him from the dead. And they said, Who shall we obey, man or God? That's the same kind of challenge we're going to face increasingly in the Western world. And we are deluding ourselves if we think it's going to get any easier for us, especially with this uh, LBGT group. They are very aggressive and they have a lot of influence in high places. They themselves are in positions of high places and once you have a person like this who gets in position where they can legislate and make laws and regulations you can be absolutely sure they'll do anything in their power to silence the church and to muzzle uh, Christianity and that's what's happening today in the video one of the men mentioned that the church in general has been asleep in the pew would you agree with that statement oh definitely the church is <laughs> the, the church to my mind has become uh, deluded, and when I speak to the church, I'm talking in a broad, very broad sense of the word. The church wants to be relevant, and its attempt to be relevant, it has been surrendering its faith and surrendering its doctrine and surrendering its beliefs in order to be to be relevant. Uh, I mentioned Nathan; it all started with the theory of evolution. Once we surrendered, and when I say the church generally surrendered to evolution, they embraced evolution. The Catholic Church embraced evolution. I hope you know that. The Pope embraced it. So when you have a church embracing evolution, you really, you might as well close your Bible and forget the Bible because if God did not create and Jesus Christ did not create, there is absolutely no redemption for us. There's no, there's no offense against God because it means there was no sin. There was no regulation saying you should not partake of the fruit of the tree, whatever it is. So there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no redemption. No need for Christ. There's no need for the Bible. No need for God. The church did not fully understand the repercussions, I don't think, because they want to be scientific. They don't want to be considered to be obturantists, ob- that they weren't intelligent, weren't smart. They were third graders rather than university graduates, etc., etc. And therefore, they accommodated and accommodated and accommodated. And that was the opening of the door to the complete demise of the church in terms of its morality and its position on truth. Then you got the the homosexual lifestyle came in. There was a pushback against it, and then suddenly the church now ordaining people who are even homosexual. You have homosexual churches, and almost in every major denomination, it is now beginning to accept the the uh, the lesbian lifestyle, the gay lifestyle. Now you got the transgender again. Uh, once you've given into evolution, given into homosexuality, you've got to give into this one, and only God knows how many other these things are going to come down the line. Polygamy, <laughs> polygamy, that is going to come. I don't see how they can actually stop it from happening yeah. because if you can allow two men to sleep together and two women to sleep, how in the world can you deny either bigamy or polygamy? Uh, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And of course, I think that's going to lead ultimately to the, the what the Bible condemns in the book of Leviticus, bestiality. Hmm. When a man loves his pet now, and you know, the people who marry their computer. Well, if you marry a computer, you can't marry a pet too. So we are in a state of moral confusion, and the church, which should be leading in the vanguard of this matter, pushing back the tide of iniquity, it is compromised and compromised and compromised, it has lost its authority, and therefore it is now just existing as a social club. It's only the remnant church that stands in the way of this uh, global agenda. So I hear you uh, saying these things about the church, and you've defined the church very broadly. 
do I even need to go to church anymore? Well, I'm de- I'm defining the the what I might call the the established church, which is really uh, doesn't teach doctrine, uh, it teaches tradition, etc. Et I'm not talking about the the evangelical remnant church that is taking a stand, but even them, to be very honest with you, uh, several of them have compromised uh, along the same line. So this it's just a very few minority of even evangelical churches are taking any firm stand on these things. Take the other thing about the the, 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 uh, the gospel today, again, Nathan. The gospel that's being preached is a prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. There's no such thing as prosperity gospel in the Bible. So when you're preaching to people talking about health, wealth, and uh, prosperity, that's what you come to. You are making people come to God out of greed, out of covetousness. The motive is all wrong. They're not People are not dealing with the sin, the offense against God. They don't feel guilty any longer. Uh, the church has created a situation where um, God accepts everybody. God is uh, this God of love, and you don't need to repent. You don't need to turn away from your sins. Except that's the kind of religion we have today. It's, a, it's more like a, a positive um, personal self-salvation, auto-salvation. It's not about uh, the sense of guilt, the sense of, uh, of, of, of burden of uh, feeling the weight of God's judgment against your conscience so that you're led to repentance and faith. That is almost gone uh, within the church today. And the evangelical church has got to have a revival uh, where it begins to take a firm stand and, and, and take the stand for truth. I think the only thing that can save this generation and uh, save the, the Western world is if we have some kind of a real Holy Spirit revival that starts to spread across the globe. Without that, I don't see how we can turn this tide back because the churches are just too weak and the the, the, uh, the pastors are more uh, concerned about relevance than they are about taking a stand for truth and uh, being spoken against and being condemned. For the listener who says, Pastor, do you have some check sheet for me to make sure that I'm going to a church that I should be going to? My, my counsel to people when it comes to church is that, look, find a church where the Word of God is preached and expounded. It has to be a church that is expounding the Word and teaching the Word. That is that is central. The other thing I, I often say is that find a church who has a desire for missions and evangelism. If you have a church that is preaching the Word but they don't have any missions program, they don't have any kind of evangelism um, outreach, that should be a concern to you. And the other one is find a church where you can use your gifts that God has given to you. Every believer has a gift. So you should find a church where you can use that particular gift within that setting. You're you're calling to that assembly to utilize your gift to the edification of the body of Christ. And uh, so don't look at a church that is because of its size and its largeness. As a matter of fact, that may be one of the great impediments that you're just like a sponge soaking in, but you never give out. And there's no opportunity for you to minister. Uh, get engaged in ministry. And that's why you were called in, into the church in the first place. If you're in Antigua and you are looking for a Bible-preaching church, if you're already part of one, we're not trying to draw you away, but if you are looking for a Bible-centered, Bible-teaching church, we would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church. That is the church that Pastor Murphy is the pastor of. It's located in Gambles Terrace on the north side of St. John's, Antigua. It's located on Rowan Henry Street, the same street that the cemetery is on. We have Sunday school at 9 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10 a.m., And then we have Thursday evening service and prayer meeting at 7 p.m. And we also have uh, different training courses that are taking place on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. 
If you have just tuned in, you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It is a live, interactive program, and I want to say welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday evening in order to listen to the program and join us on the program. And when I say join us, I don't mean just listen. I mean interact with us. We are here to answer your question and your questions. There's a phone number you can call to be put live on the air. The phone line is open and awaiting your call. And the number to call is 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Or if you are joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your questions right there in the comments section, and we will pass them along to Pastor Murphy. Yeah, I want to, uh, should have said something. You realize that the two people here in the, in the video are parliamentarian. Oh, imagine that, a parliamentarian, because she tweeted Romans chapter 1, she could face two years. Now, remember, we're not talking about a, a, a lay person. We're not talking about an ordinary person. There's a parliamentarian yeah. in the fin- Finland parliament. The second thing is a bishop. It's a pastor. So you're dealing with a person who's in, uh, head of the church, and you deal with a person within parliament, but yet both of them face the same consequence. I mean, that is very, very, very significant. Yeah. And that gives you the idea of the reach of these uh, lobbyists who are the LBGT, how much power they have, and continue to gain. And, they, and again, Nathan, it's just, um, you know, we know that in um, even here in Antigua, we know that there's, one. I think, one of the, the senators who's a known lesbian. Uh, same as in, in Barbados, where one of our leaders uh, is a lesbian. I mean, these are not people that hide these truth, these, uh, what is happening. These are bold-faced, perverted, abominable people who, quite frankly, uh, want the public to know that, uh, you know, um, whether you agree with my lifestyle or not, this is my lifestyle. They're not hiding in the closet any longer. They're coming out with a vengeance. And they're now seeking vengeance on people who don't support or endorse their position. This is a very dangerous uh, thing that's happening, and I I, I fear that it's going to affect us down here. It's pretty, pretty sobering to think that a bishop or a pastor, I mean, their job is to teach the Bible. Correct. And that they are being admonished, punished. Uh, there's consequences for them teaching yeah, the Bible, yeah. not expounding on it, but just quoting the Bible. But I would say this, you know, this may be what's needed for the church in, in a very real sense to wake us up out of our complacency uh, because we have think that uh, the whole purpose is to accommodate and to try to get along with the the, the world and get along with government uh, and not be uh, taking a stand for truth. And when we see valiant people like this who are willing to go to jail for their faith, remember this is, remember that it is said that the, the, um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When people see that people are serious about what they believe, and prepared to be incarcerated for what they believe and will not back down or recant, is this that provoked people to reevaluate the shallowness of their own faith and the shallowness of their own belief? So I, I would say to you that it may be the beginning of a movement that probably would lead Christians to really um, get out of this complacency that we're in. And uh, if we don't fight for truth 
uh, and we're silent, this is the kind of price we're going to pay. So maybe people become more active and get more engaged uh, within a democracy like Antigua or within uh, the U.S. I mean, a lot of Christian institutions that, that will respond to this kind of thing and, and, and uh, take positions on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We're in the Caribbean. We need something uh, of that nature to really uh, represent uh, Christian truth and Christian values. And I don't know of any, at this point in time, in Antigua and in Barbados, well, it might be Babs, Sister Babs, uh, Dr. Eveling. I think she leads a, a coalition of uh, groups to fight back against these kind of uh, pushback against truth in the Bible. But here in Antigua, I'm not aware of any, and uh, certainly we need more groups who can use the democratic um, tools to at least push back on these matters. Other than that, we're going to end up facing jail time, incarceration. We're going to pay an awful price for being silent. A comment, Pastor, that came from a listener on Facebook. Typical bashing of the Catholic Church. I can't listen anymore. Okay. Well, baffling of the Catholic Church in regard to its uh, position on uh, evolution. If you can't listen anymore, that's your problem. That's not my problem. What you got to do to face the truth. If God created and evolution is false, how can your church embrace evolution? And if you don't know your church embrace evolution, you need to go online and get the Catholic uh, dictionary and see what they believe about that. You'll see that what I'm telling you is the truth. If you can't face the truth, that's your problem, not mine, madam or sir. Time across the Eastern Caribbean. And in our studios in the community of Valley Church, Antigua, is 756. We're broadcasting on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM from the island of Antigua. And you can listen online at radiolighthouse.org, or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Again, if you have a question and you want to call and be put live on the air, you can call 1-268-462-7420. If you have a topic or a question that you would like discussed, please WhatsApp or text it to 1-268-782-1454. We're going to jump into our topic again that we began last week, and it's that of the death of Christ. Pastor, for those who are just joining us tonight, can you give us a quick review of what was discussed last week? Well, basically, we established the fact that the death of Christ is of supreme importance as far as the Christian faith is concerned. Um, I uh, mentioned that it's not an accident uh, or a fortuitous event that occurred. It is a pre-planned, pre-ordained event that God had planned on his calendar that Christ would die. Uh, You know, most other religions emphasize the life of its founder, Christianity emphasizes the death of its founder. And from the book of Genesis running right through to the end of Revelation, there's a, a stream of uh, biblical teaching about the, the blood that emphasizes that one day Christ would come, he would die a substitutionary death for the sins of humankind, and that uh, he would make atonement through his death. That is a central theme of Christianity. And I would almost say to you that if you're going to the Bible, that the central doctrine is the emphasis on the death of his Christ. It it does emphasize the resurrection. But go through all the sacrifices in the Old Testament from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When man sinned and uh, God killed an animal and put clothes on humankind, it was showing, quite frankly, there in typical form that the innocent would die for the guilty and that the, the, the innocent would clothe 
and the, the, the clothing that was, the skins, was actually a covering for man's condition. This is all uh, typical of what would happen when Christ would die, that ultimately he would pay the price and his blood would become the covering so that God can forgive our sins and uh, he can, uh, we can have redemption. Throughout the Old Testament, running right through, you'll see that emphasis on the death, the death, the death, the death. Every sacrifice, five different sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, and every one of them emphasized the shedding of blood and emphasizes the matter of atonement and uh, the uh, matter of covering of sin. That's the biblical doctrine. How can a loving God have ordered and been in favor of the slaughter of millions, billions of animals down through the decades? Good question. Is either man dies or the animal dies? Because okay. what if, 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 if the wage of sin is death, the only way that a man wants to be forgiven is either that he extracts that penalty on man or the innocent dies in place of humankind. So it's a matter of what ha- which has more value, the animal or the human being has more value. And we all know that man is the premier uh, creation of God. And every other th- animal serves his purpose. That's why you, you can eat cows, you can eat sheep, etc., etc. These things were made for man. So it, uh, the innocent became a, a substitute for humankind. Rather than God extract death on human sin every time a man sinned, he, he, took, out, he took out his wrath on the, the animals, which is a, a, a substitute. But again, uh, Nathan, don't forget that these are only pictorial um, demonstrations in type form of what would ultimately happen when Christ would come. He would be the ultimate lamb. John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. So every test, every sacrifice in the Old Testament was pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that would come. And now that Christ uh, had completed his work, there's no need for any more animal sacrifice. But until he had come, God had enacted a temporary means of dealing with human sin. Remember that sin, as it were, was held in an escort account, a suspense account, until Christ died. It's only Christ's death that removed all sin. But until that event took place, God had human sin, as it were, in a suspense account and covering human sin. But it was never wiped away until uh, Christ finally came. You know, I think I've heard a, a good illustration of this where um, uh, in the Old Testament it's like a person sweeping the house and sweeping the, the dirt under the rug, uh, but you don't see it, right? But really, in truth and fact, you still have a sense of guilt because uh, even in the Old Testament, uh, every man would believe, how can the way can an animal actually take away my sins and recovers? So there was not that, that, uh, that fullness of assurance about ultimate forgiveness but it's like everything was swept on and covered over but we knew it was there so there was not as a matter of fact the book of Hebrews says that our conscience was not cleared until Christ died and then our conscience was fully cleared because we understood then that what was under the carpet was now fully removed so we don't have that sense of guilt any longer because the price has been paid but until that was done uh, even though the sacrifice was made there was still not that uh, fullness of conscience that this actually could take away the problem because it was going to cover not to take away. It's Christ death that took away our sins and therefore we have a clear conscience before God because the sin problem will be taken care of. Thank you very much for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and That's Truth. We are here to answer your questions. You can call and be put live on the air 268-462-7420 or You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. Anything else? Yeah, uh, the other thing that we we talked about last time, Nathan, had to do with the uh, looking at the different views on the matter of the the death of Christ because the evangelical uh, view, of course, is that um, his sacrifice 
was a penal substitutionary sacrifice that he died for human sins so that man could be forgiven. But there have always been liberal theologians and people who are apostates for the Christian faith who have come up with other theories to explain away his death. And we talked about, for example, some who said it was an accidental theory. In other words, uh, his death has no reference to human sin. It's just that he was a good man. Uh, he held to certain principles, but the people didn't agree with his principles. And as a result, he came into clash with other people and they crucified him. But there's no significance. The only significance to that would be, uh, quite frankly, that you hold to your principles. And then there was the martyr theory that, uh, again, uh, Christ uh, held to his principles and because of his fidelity and uh, to the truth and his duty to the truth, he was willing to sacrifice himself for his truth. And again, that is said to ennoble us that when we have a... Uh, principles that we hold to, we should be willing to die for our principles. So, in a sense, he's an example to us uh, to be willing to suffer martyrdom even for truth. And then there's a moral influence theory, uh, which says that this is the love of God theory that the death and suffering of Christ was to soften human hearts uh, and lead men to repentance because they saw how God mistreated his son on the cross. But again, it's not that he died for the sins of the world, he, his death is actually an incentive for you to. Uh, understand that God takes sin very seriously and that you need to, to repent but it has no substitutionary function it has no atoning function it's just there to, uh, to, to, to have a moral influence in you to deal and then there's a governmental theory um, which says that God uh, made Christ an example that his laws cannot should not be broken and cannot be broken and so his death, again, has nothing to do with reference to your sin or my sin or atonement. It's just that God was using an example that we ought to obey the law. And because he died uh, for others who broke the law, the idea is that we must, uh, we must um, obey the law. And, and, but for us, the, the true biblical teaching on this matter is that uh, Christ's death was a penal sacrifice and it was substitutionary that he died in our place so that God can forgive us uh, the debt that we owe to God is a debt that he paid for us so that we don't have to pay that debt and that is what the Bible teaches as far as this matter is concerned but those are the five different views and the only one that we would support as believers is that it's a penal substitutionary death that uh, involves human sin and atonement If the death of Christ is really so significant can you show us where it's emphasized in Scripture? Yeah, well, again, uh, from the very book of Genesis, running through the Scripture, you'll find that uh, his death again and again in the Bible is foretold. It's foretold in, in types. Uh, it's foretold also... Uh, what do you mean by a type? A type is an example in the Bible that points towards Christ's in the future. For example, when the Jews took the serpent and put it on the, on the pole. Uh, now, if you, uh, if you take a pole, you put a pole, it's a cross. It was symbolic that Christ would one day hang on the cross. Remember what he said to Nicodemus? As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man would be lifted up. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the serpent was a type of Christ. You remember that all they had to do was to look on the serpent and be healed. And be healed. When you look upon Christ crucified and believe what he's done, then you're healed. That's a type. Um, take the Passover lamb that was done uh, when they left the Exodus. There's certain qualifications for the Passover lamb. It had to be male. It could be, have no blemish. 
Uh, it had to be from the clean animals, et cetera, et cetera. Again, all of that was, was pointing, and it had to be uh, no more than two years old in, in its height of maturity. All of that was pointing to Christ, uh, who was male, who was cl- uh, perfect, uh, who was in the very height of his maturity, and um, he would die in place of the firstborn, uh, as it was. So he died as the as the uh, our substitute, as our redeemer. Those are what we mean by types. There are other types in the in the scriptures as well. You take Noah's Ark is another type that when God poured of His wrath on planet Earth, the people who were in the Ark were saved. And Christ is our Ark, where we find safety in Him when God again pours of His wrath. Uh, anyone that uh, has any doubt about the veracity of Scripture and the the truthfulness of Scripture and the fact that it's inspired, uh, one of the most fascinating studies you can ever, ever, ever in, in, uh, endeavor in is to do a study on, on biblical types and see how, uh, b- without any pre-planned co- coincidence, how the Bible synchronizes and again and again it points towards the one who is to come. So he is uh, uh, foretold in the Old Testament by types. Genesis three fifteen uh, is one of the first promises ever given in the Bible that said, uh, could you read that? Genesis 3.15. Yeah, Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is what is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's, it's a promise that the seed of the woman and Galatians chapter 4 said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his, his son made of a woman. The seed would come out of a woman uh, the seed of the uh, the serpent would bruise the heel of the woman's seed, but the seed of the woman would, would crush the serpent's head. And that's exactly what the, the Bible is teaching there, that the Messiah is going to come to the seed of the woman. He'd be the one that would give a death blow to Satan and, and, and destroy him. Uh, that goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You remember when um, Abraham was, oh, Abraham, uh, Abel, offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Remember Cain offered the seed of the uh, foot of the ground, but Abel offered out of the, f- the flock, the best of the flock. Again, uh, because the sacrifice uh, before God required the shedding of blood. Um, what Cain offered was the effort of human works, um, the, 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 what he planted, etc., etc. But the, from the very beginning, it had to do with, with sacrifice, bloody sacrifice. And that's why the book of Hebrews said he offered a more excellent sacrifice, and he did it by faith, because he understood that it was a blood sacrifice that would be covering for sin. Uh, on Mount Moriah, when um, Abraham offered, it was about to offer his son, and he was told, do, the, do your son no harm. You remember that he found a, a ram caught in the ticket, and that lamb, that ram died in place of Isaac. That was a type that Christ would die in place. And by the way, that sacrifice took place on Mount Moriah, the exact place where Christ was crucified. All of these are types that point towards to our, our Lord. So you find in the Old Testament, in, in type and also in Bible prophecy, um, uh, his death is emphasized. Uh, look at Psalm 41, verse 9 to 10. Book of Psalm 49, 41, 41, verse 9 to 11. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because of mine em- enemy doth triumph over me. Now re- look at Acts one sixteen. 
skipping down to the New Testament, Acts chapter 1 and verse 16 says, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Yeah, he's talking about my own familiar friend, and you know, he would be betrayed by a friend, and, and that's why in uh, Acts uh, one sixteen. Uh, Peter calls attention to the fact that Judas was the one that betrayed him. Remember, be- Judas betrayed him with a kiss. So he was, uh, even in Psalm 41, he would be betrayed by a friend. We didn't know who that friend was, but clearly Peter tells us that. Uh, if you also look at Psalm 22, verse 1, verse 7, verse 8. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse, what, se- verse, uh, go ahead. verse 1? No, yeah, finish uh, reading uh, verse 1. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Then verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Verse 8. That was verse Verse 18, then. Verse 18 says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now, if you would look at uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 39 to 41. Matthew 27. Verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. And then verse number, uh, wait to verse 41. And saying, Thou that destroyed the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the king of Israel, let him now Come down from the cross, and we will believe him. 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So clearly in Psalm chapter 22, that's a, what you call a messianic psalm, and it's actually telling you the conditions under which it's crucifixion, what would happen, how do people respond. The detail is so minute, quite frankly, you can't help but see the concepts between the two of them. It's emphasizing there the, the resurrection. So it's prophesied, uh, uh, it's crucifixion. It's, it, look at Daniel 9.26. We talk Bible emphasizing his death and the, the prophecies concerning that, not only in type but also in Bible prophecy. Daniel 9, 9 26. 26. So you're saying there's prophetic language in, there was prophecies in Psalms. Oh, the yeah. The, the, whole, the, the other Psalms that we can draw your attention to, even the resurrection is in the Psalms, as, as Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2. But here, the specific, specificity of, of what would happen, that he would be betrayed, that they would be mocked, and they'll laugh at him and call him down words, that he, the very words he would use, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? These are the very words in the book of Psalms, uh, all indicating that this is a prophetic Psalm concerning the, the death of Christ. Um, Daniel 9.26 And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, 
and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and upon the end of the war desolations are determined. But um, we did a study in Daniel chapter um, 7, some 9, some time ago. The emphasis there that uh, the Messiah will be cut off after 60 and 2 weeks. And that gives you the exact year in which the Messiah would die. If you would uh, make, make a reference to that particular study that we did, uh, the person can go in line and see the study that was done there. But uh, Daniel is able to tell us exactly the very year our Lord would, would be crucified, pointing towards his death. Yes, so if you are interested in uh, further detail of the book of Daniel, you can. there was a whole series the pastor did on Bible prophecy, and you can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org, scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a large microphone, and right in the middle of the screen, there's a circle that says podcast. You can't miss it. Click on that. And then go to the That's Truth podcast and the That's Truth podcast archive and look for episode number 90 and episode number 91. And those specifically are where Pastor is discussing Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel 9. One other uh, Bible prophecy concerning related to his death that might be worth looking at is Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Zechariah 11, 12. Yeah, verse 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at them, at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And then if you look at uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 15, you find that our Lord was sold for the 30 pieces of silver. And then in Acts, uh, where are told that uh, Judas used the money to buy the potter's field, and then he committed suicide, basically, and he fell, and his bowels gushed out in the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're just trying to say that the specificity of the Old Testament relative to the uh, the death of Christ, uh, the minute details that are given, the other passages that talk about his, every, his, every, uh, all his joints are out of place. Uh, the other reference that talk about they look on him whom you have pierced. All of these are biblical references that emphasize his death again and again. You can't escape the biblical emphasis both by type and by prophecy concerning the death of Christ. It's just central to everything the Bible teaches on that matter. But just look at Matthew 26, verse 15. And he said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. Right. And then look at chapter 27, verse um, 19 and 20. 9 and 10, sorry. Verses 9 and 10 say, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they loved, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord anointed me. Same reference. You find that in Zechariah, it referenced the potter's field. And now 
uh, clearly this is a reference to the same passage. I mean, the detail is so minute. I think most people who are familiar with Bible prophecy would know that the first coming of Christ involved over 200 Bible prophecies that were minutely fulfilled according to the prophetic word, uh, vindicating who he was, and that was his credentials, that the one Messiah. There was always a portrait in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, this is how you would know who the Messiah is, and all of those Bible prophecies uh, would help those in that day be able to establish the credentials of the Messiah and get a profile of what the Messiah would do and what he would be like and what would happen to him. And Christ fulfilled all of those Bible prophecies. So it's not just a matter, Nathan, of his, the, the significance of it, the importance of, of his death is not only emphasized by the types you find in the Bible, also by Bible prophecies emphasized. The other know, thing is... Um, I know this probably isn't your goal no, of sharing ahead. this, but if you're listening and you had any doubt about whether the Bible is true, I'm encouraged just listening and comparing the Old Testament to the New Testament uh, fulfillment. It's another reminder that the Bible is not just a book. It is an inspired book. Exactly. Uh, This is where when people um, say, uh, question the integrity of the Bible or the veracity of the Bible or the inspiration of the Bible, these are people who obviously do not know what Bible prophecy is. Anybody that uh, knows the history of the Alexandrian Empire, the Major Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, uh, and know when the book of Daniel was written and the, when the prophecy was fulfilled, we know that it was written way before these events occurred, right? Uh, so Bible prophecy is one of the greatest authentic proofs that we're dealing with a sacred uh, inspired book and not an ordinary book of men. There's no other uh, religious book, no other um, uh, religion or faith that has a book that contains the kind of prophecy the Bible contains, exact and precise. Uh, prophecies are made 100 years ago, uh, 800 years, 700 years, and the, in the case of the Protevangelion, uh, almost 4,000 years before the event, event happened. Uh, this is what gives credibility to the Bible, and one of the great arguments when we defend the Christian faith uh, is the matter of Bible prophecy as one of the great proofs that the Bible is inspired. We have a WhatsApp comment from a listener in Antigua. Good evening, Pastor. You are taking and stating the Catholic Church's position on evolution out of context for your listeners. You are also broad-brushing and blaming the Catholic Church for everything. Well, I am not blaming the Catholic Church for everything. I'm blaming the Catholic Church for holding a very loose position on uh, evolution. They should not believe in teach evolution. They should not believe in evolution. They should not advocate evolution whatsoever. What they teach is that God created by the process of evolution. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that God created by the person, the Jesus Christ, that he's the one that created. So it is a false teaching and a false doctrine. And if, if anybody believed that, they believe in a false God because that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who created by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not create by a process of evolution. So I'm not wrong on that matter. And I can, uh, yeah, I can, I can bring you quotes after. Yeah. I've got, I've been looking some up here. I just did a quick Google search. Yeah. Uh, Pope, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but Pope Pius, uh, the remember my Roman numerals here, maybe the twelfth, described evolution as a valid scientific approach to the development of humans in 1950, and then Pope John Paul reiterated that in 1996. Uh, there's, uh, you can continue. But there's something on the current post as well. I, I, I forgot what I, I, I may can check it out and bring it, but I'll quote it. Uh, he himself believes in evolution as a means whereby uh, man was created. Uh, there's no escaping that 
this position is false, it is wrong. And I mean, this is just one of many. This is one of many, 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 many others uh, that I can, I can quote where one pope said one thing and the other pope said the very opposite. Yet these are supposed to be infallible men who speak ex cathedra. The contradiction is so, so obvious that one wonders how any sane, reasonable person could actually entertain uh, what is being taught in these particular areas. Yet you have an infallible pope. So if you've got two infallible popes teaching the very opposite, you don't have infallible popes. You have fallible popes who are just pretending to be infallible. And that's the problem I have with the Catholic Church. Here's just a quote of, yeah. from uh, Pope Francis. When we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God as a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. But that is not so, Francis said. He created, and this is Francis' statement again, God created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. That's evolution in its very essence there. I don't know how anybody can see it other than that. The Bible it's mocking God. The, the Bible doesn't teach that. But he himself, I think the Catholic Church has been disappointed with him, I must say, uh, especially the Orthodox Catholics people. He, he's a liberal in terms of his thinking. Uh, he is the same one that, uh, quite frankly, says that the Hindus are going to heaven and the Muslims are going to heaven. Quite frankly, he has no exclusivity in terms of Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. Uh, he is a more ecumenical figure who wants to bring all religions together to bring it under the umbrella of the Catholic Church. Uh, these are men, uh, quite frankly, who've gotten away from the truth uh, for quite some time. And the important, the sad thing is that the people in the church don't read their Bible and they're just not willing to take the Bible for what it teaches and therefore look to the priest to give them an interpretation, whatever the priest said they go to. But it, that's not why, why we were given the Bible. We're given the Bible so that we can understand. And the Bible is a very simple book. It's not for the intellectual alone or the, the person who is a technocrat. It's for the very simple person because faith is very simple. Truth is very simple. Truth simplifies life. And uh, uh, um, when you find people make things complex, it's because there's a lot of error in it in that regard. Let me ask you this. Is your purpose on this program, on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, to criticize, bash the Catholic Church? My whole purpose is to speak truth to these matters. If the Catholic Church is wrong in something, I'll speak out against that. If the Baptist is wrong in something, uh, I will speak out against it. I just mentioned a matter ago that I felt that the, the Baptist Church make a mistake by not celebrating the Easter um the Good Friday. Good we don't Friday. we don't celebrate it. I, I think that's a mistake. Um, I feel that it is something that is worth being done because I think it gives us an opportunity to preach the gospel and explain the death of Christ to people who don't go to church other than Good Friday, Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, and Christmas. So it's an opportunity for the church, and I just mentioned that. I think so. So it's not a matter of. But once you're dealing with truth, you're always going to have conflict with issues, and what I'm concerned about is. Taking what the Bible says and juxtapose it against what others said and to say, this is what the Bible teaches, this is the right thing. And evolution is a hoax, it's a false, uh, um, it's not science, okay, it is pseudoscience. And uh, I don't know how the church ever embraced it or could ever countenance to embrace it. 
but I think the whole problem is to be considered intellectual and not to be considered uh, obscurantist. I think that is the reason why they did it, to become relevant and uh, to, to become modern. I think that's what has happened. And it has hurt the church tremendously because once you surrender truth in that area, it's just a matter of time before you have to send up, surrender other truth because the Bible is the absolute authority. And when you surrender the biblical authority on creation, you surrender on gender issues, you surrender on marriage, you surrender on um, sex, sexual issues, you just surrender it right down the line and you keep surrendering and surrendering until the, all you end up with is a social club where you come together, have a good time, sing a few songs, but truth has disappeared and we're just having a service out of nostalgia. That's a big mistake. Thank you to the individuals who have shared your thoughts and your questions tonight. If you have a question, maybe a suggested topic that you would like discussed here on That's Truth in a future episode, you can give us a call and be put live on the air at one 462 7420 I'll give that number to you again, one 462 7420 and that will put you live on the air. If you want to WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 1-268-782-1454. I, I want to say something else, Nathan, because uh, I, I think I need to say this again. Um, I might use another example. For example, you've heard me several times on this program uh, uh, abominate any idea that Mary can save anybody. And we have a gentleman who I, I like a lot because in um, and stuff like that. But he is he's pinned his hope on Mary. No one who's pinned their hope on Mary is getting to heaven. That's a reality. There's only one way to heaven, and that is to Jesus Christ. Mary cannot help a single solitary person gain not one foot into heaven. But again, the 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 Catholic Church so much idolizes her. Uh, pray to her. Uh, and it is completely unscriptural and biblical. And I cannot, as a minister of the gospel who preached the truth and believed the truth, I cannot stand by idly and allow that to happen without abominating it and condemning it as something that is false and misleading. You know how many people are going to be going to die and be damned because they're holding on to the belief that somehow Mary is going to get them into heaven, and then they discover to their utter dismay and regret that it was a false belief. We, this is a serious matter. We're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with not just with a man dying and that's the end of a man. Uh, we're going to live somewhere forever. And we have to know where we're going. And the Bible explicitly explains to us there's only one way, only one name, only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. And any church that teaches any other Savior, whether it be co-redemptrix uh, uh, with Christ, is a false teaching on that matter. And we have to speak truth to falsehood because it's only truth that can actually uh, annul falsehood. And if you've just tuned in and you're saying, well, Pastor is really, really hitting the Catholic Church hard, let me just remind you um, tonight's episode is episode 204, but for several years now, Pastor has covered a very broad realm of topics, and part of those topics was he did a series on different religions and comparing it to the Bible. Again, the purpose of this program is to compare everything to the Bible, to truth, and just some of the uh, religions or cults. Uh, that were discussed 
were Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, the Mormon Church, the Roman Catholic Church, Baha'i, the Baha'i Faith, Islam, Christian Science, uh, TM, Spiritism, and there were others also, but that's just a quick summary. Now, Pastor, can there be someone within the Catholic Church that is saved? I don't have any doubt that the Catholics were saved. I honestly don't have any doubt about that. But you cannot be saved if you're depending on Mary. Yeah, That's the point I'm making. If a person has put their faith and trust exclusively in Christ, not in the Church, not in Mary, of course they're saved. Yeah. But the, 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 the tr- truth of the matter is that when you deal with people uh, who are within that denomination, if you want to call it that, a lot of them, when you talk to them, they clearly have no idea of putting their faith exclusively in Christ. They put so much trust in Mary. It's like this gentleman that calls all the time. I feel uh, uh, not only dismayed about that kind of belief, but in a very sen- I feel very sympathetic that a person could be in the church and hold to that kind of a belief and the pastor or the leader doesn't clarify that it is Christ and Christ alone that saves a person. Uh, and that creates dismay in my heart to think that he might be going on all of his life believing this, then to uh, pass out into eternity to discover that it was one of the most grievous errors that, uh, why wasn't he taught different? So he has a song in board. He hears one position, but now he hears the biblical position. And he can't say he was not told what the biblical position is. He has to make a choice between what the church teaches or what the Bible teaches. And many, many times the church does not teach what the Bible teaches. And that's why it's important to get the word out and get the truth out when it comes to Scripture, uh, irrespective. As I would like to say to anybody listening, I'm not here to win friends and influence people. That's not my job. My job here is to simply say what the Bible teaches on these matters and to present the biblical truth on the matter. Now, whether you agree with it or not is immaterial. But I will preach and teach what the Bible uh, teaches on these matters uh, without any fear or favor or without feeling offended because uh, you're offended because I say something that is truth. Um, those kind of things don't ca- cause me to blink an eye, to be very honest with you. Uh, so I just want you to know that I'm just concerned about truth, and that's all I'm concerned about, nothing else but the truth. I don't know if you're a religious person. I don't know if you attend church. I don't know if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but I do know that we are thankful that you're listening to the program tonight. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at org, and you can also listen on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. No matter where you're listening from, whether you are in your vehicle, whether you are on a Caribbean island, whether you're listening to this podcast a year from now in eastern Germany or in Australia, we are thankful that you are listening to this program. And Pastor, let me not pass up this opportunity. Can you explain what does it mean to be a Christian? What does the Bible say about that? Look, the the Bible is very clear and very simple on this matter. Anyone that wants to know what it is to be a Christian, how to become a born-again believer, can go to John chapter 3, where Christ explains this whole matter to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a profoundly religious man. He belongs to the Sanhedrin. He is also a respectable leader uh, in the Jewish community. He is also a teacher of the law. So you've got a, a moral, religious uh, a political leader as well because the Sanhedrin is who, who ran the political interfer- affairs of Israel. So you have a man that has prominence at every level and he comes to Christ to find out 
uh, how does a man enter the kingdom? And our Lord uh, says to him, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That created a question mark in his mind. And uh, you would have thought that this man who knew the Old Testament, who was supposed to be a teacher, would have understood uh, that uh, there was a new covenant that is spoken about in Ezekiel and also in in, um, Jeremiah. And that the Lord would give people a new heart and he gave them a new spirit. This is what our Lord is dealing with. So he, he says to him, quite frankly, um, and Nicodemus asked the question, well, how can a man be born again? Can he go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's this childish, infantile uh, uh, evaluation that this man has. He's supposed to be a spiritual giant, but he's just a, a dwarf when it comes to, to, to understanding biblical truth. And our Lord explained to him that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So spiritual birth is needed. That's what he's emphasizing. The, the, the new birth is a spiritual birth. And then our Lord began to explain to him. He asked, how can these things be? And our Lord said, look, the wind blows where it listeth. It goes any direction. You can't see the wind, but the wind accomplishes its purpose. He's saying that the spirit of God is like that. You don't see when the spirit of God works, but you can see the results of the work in a person's life. So when a person becomes born again and born of the Spirit, there is a change in that person's life. He becomes a new creature. First uh, Corinthians speaks, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. It's a new birth from above. It takes as much power uh, to regenerate a person as it took to resurrect Christ. Find that in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul talked about the same part that was resurrected, used to resurrect Christ, the same part that works in a believer's life. So salvation is something supernatural. It's not something that you you just uh, say a little prayer and that's what happens to you. When you are truly repentant of your sins and you put in your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a supernatural work is done in your life where you are changed. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and He now begins to sanctify you and to change and to transform you. That's a supernatural work, right? And that's what being born again is about. It's about repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross. When you do that, you're adopted into God's family, you're given God's Spirit, and God's Spirit begins to clean you up from the inside out. Out. It begins to transform your life. Now, if you have never had a life that is transformed, I am saying to you, you do not know what salvation is about. You need to put your faith and trust in Christ and repent of your sins to have that transforming power in your life. Everyone that is genuinely saved can tell you that they're not the person they used to be. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they've seen systematic changes wrought in their life as they grow in the Christian faith. There has been something that has transformed them. The desire for sin is taken away. It's not there. It doesn't mean that you don't sin, but you don't enjoy it when you, you when, when, when it happens, etc., etc. And if it does happen, you are sorrowful and, and mournful and, and, and sad and want forgiveness and pardon. <laughs> That's what Christianity is all about. See, If you can live in sin, after you became a Christian, it doesn't bother you. You do not have real salvation. You have a bogus salvation. There must be this change in your life. And if it's not a change, you're not a born-again believer. But that's what it is, Brother Nathan. It's repentance. 
putting your faith and trust in Christ and understand this is the work of the Spirit that begins to work in your life to change you, to transform you, you know, give you a new heart, and uh, new affections, uh, new values, new way of thinking, new ambitions. In other words, you become a new person, but that doesn't happen with a snap of a finger. You see that? It's a, it's a change. That's why I said all things are becoming new. Behold, all things are becoming uh, old things are becoming uh, new. Behold, all things are becoming new. The, the, the Greek word is in the present tense, the linear tense. It's an ongoing transformation that takes place in a person's life. What counsel do you have for the listener who says, Pastor Murphy, I'm interested in that, but how do I make sure that I pray the right words? Well, I'm not too sure that the, the question is about the right words. And this is where I think people get lost, right? The man that went into the temple and would not even look up, but smote on his breast and said, God, be merciful unto me. He knew what he wanted. He wanted forgiveness and pardon. He wanted to be restored. And Christ said, this man goes down to uh, his grave justified. Same word that is used for us, justified. It has to do with being broken over your sin that you are truly sorry about your sin and that you want forgiveness and you want a new life and a new transformation in your life. That must be there. If you don't want to give up your sin, you want to continue living your sin, my suggestion to you is don't become part of the church. Our Lord said, which of you intended to build a house do not first sit down and count the costs. Other when you get halfway, you can't finish and people laugh at you. Which of you going to war? Do not calculate, see whether you've got enough to defeat the enemy, or you go to war and then you lose the war. And he said, count the cost. So if you're not willing to part with your sin, if you, don't want, if you want to continue your lifestyle as you are, you cannot be a Christian in that condition. It is a matter of being broken. And by the way, let me just say this. When God begins to work in your life, you're not going to see yourself as a good person you're probably going to see yourself as the worst planet person on planet Earth. And people cannot understand that because the Spirit of God is bringing you conviction. He is showing you things that you never saw. Even the good things you did, you begin to look at your motive. What was my motive there? You know, when people say that you 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 did something good, and you know that you you what you did it might seem good to them, but you had an ulterior purpose. When the Spirit of God begins to deal with you, He really shows you who you really are. And believe you me, you're a monster. We're all monsters, right? We all wear camouflages. And when God brings that kind of conviction, you come to the point of really seeing yourself for who you are. And that leads you to say to yourself one word, Oh me. Oh me. And then when you come to that depth of understanding, then God shows you Christ at the cross, dying in your place, and you need to put your faith and trust in Him because He now is the one that paid the price for your sins. And if you put your faith and trust in Him, you're forgiven and pardoned, you're adopted into God's family, you're given the Holy Spirit, and God begins to work cleaning you up because you need a lot of cleaning. I need a lot of cleaning, depending on when you got saved. Remember, if you're, if you're 20 years or 30 years in sin, uh, automatically it's going to give you a struggle still it's still there so God has to work in you but he will change your whole attitude towards your sin and towards uh, yourself and uh, you begin to look at God completely different and um, you look to him for pardon and forgiveness until you begin to confess your sin and you walk with him on a daily basis uh, and you, you see this wonderful transformation the word of God begins to get into your life the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you you see things that you thought were okay and now the Spirit of God shows you from God's word that this is not okay this is wrong you shed that you put aside that you move on in your Christian life and you go on and you go on and you go on 
you're moving towards perfection, you're moving towards holiness. You're not going to get there until He comes. But again, you've got this goal and this ambition. That's what gives meaning and purpose to the Christian life. The unsaved man has no, no reason for living, quite frankly. He doesn't even know where he's going. The believer knows where he's going. And he has an ongoing motive every day to try to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to be, to be more holy, to be more uh, godly. So we have meaning and purpose. It changes the whole direction of life and turns life on its uh, upside down, quite frankly. And uh, it's a wonderful experience. Pastor, you make me out to sound like not a very good person. But you've got to understand, I am so 100% sincere in what I believe. That's got to be worth something. Sincerity. Uh, someone has said that the, the, the road to hell is paved with sincerity the people who can be sincerely wrong. If I left here uh, today, and uh, I'm looking, if I, when I leave here, I go in whatever direction I want to. If you went west, you'd <laughs> go in the ocean. <laughs> right. So if I believe I'm going down to um, St. John's, and I go in the very opposite direction, it doesn't matter how sincere I am in terms of believing that by going this direction, I'm going to get there. The reality is that if I don't go in the right direction, I'm not going to get there. Hmm. I think that is very obvious. You know, two and two makes four. No matter how sincere I think two and one makes four, I can, I can sincerely believe that all my life it still doesn't make four. So sincerity is not the basis, really. It's a matter of submitting to the truth of God's Word and yielding to that truth. And uh, that's the essence of wisdom in, in regards to this life. Getting to the Word, listen to the Word, obey the Word, follow the Word, and let the Word be the sibyleth or the standard or the canon by which you make judgments on these matters. It's the only safe course in this world where there's so much deception and uh, misinterpretation. And get into the Word and let the Word of God be the guide for your life. Now, we are not just here just to talk to you, not just here to teach. This is not just a one-way communication. We are here to answer your questions. And in order to answer your questions, we need to hear your questions. So you can call 268-462-7420, and that will put you live on the air. And you can ask your question, or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 268 1-268-782-1454 is the WhatsApp or text number. Now, we're talking about the death of Christ. And, Pastor, when talking about the emphasis, you mentioned uh, some prophecies. Yeah, I mentioned types. I mentioned prophecies. And the other thing, Nathan, it would be the, the, the prominence that it is given in the New Testament. I mean, uh, one-fifth of the biblical narratives in the Gospels, one-fifth, is about his death. Wow. And his death was just the final period of his life. One-fifth of all the Gospels emphasizes his death. There's more emphasis on his death than any other part of his ministry within that. that, that, that. I can think about that for just a moment. Uh, R.A. Torrey uh, says that his death is mentioned 175 times, which would mean that it is mentioned one of every 53 verses, the death of Christ is mentioned, using that as a standard. Uh, the other thing, Nathan, is that the chief purpose of his coming, fundamentally, is that the Bible makes it clear that he was going not to live, but to die. The emphasis again and again in the Scriptures is on his his death. Um, look at one or two verses quite quickly. Um, um, look at Hebrews 
9, uh, Hebrews 2, verse 9 and 14. Hebrews 2, 9 says, Mm -hmm. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with the glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Emphasis there. That's the key thing about we see Jesus, uh, for the suffering of death. That's why he came. He came having his death warrant already signed, sealed, and delivered. So he knew when he came, voluntarily he came, he knew that he would have to die. And his death was mandatory. It was not, as I said, it's not an, an accident or coincidence. It was a mandatory uh, event because it is wrapped up with the whole biblical doctrine of his atoning death, uh, etc. Uh, look Pastor, at first. We have uh, sure. Codrington on the line. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question quickly, please. We said that she's just a woman because she was a, a woman like anybody else. She was a sinner. She said that God was her Savior. Only a Savior needs sinners. So even Mary acknowledged the fact that she needed a Savior. So that's the first thing. She like all human beings, uh, all women, she was born with a sinful nature. The other thing about it is that she was a chosen vessel. Uh, she is not the only one that is chosen vessels of women in the Bible. You go into the Old Testament, uh, you find that there are other chosen vessels that were used. Deborah was used, etc. Sarah was used. In the case of Mary, she was distinctly used to bear the body of her God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. She was responsible for his bodily part, but she again was not responsible for his deity. He is a God-man. She is not the mother of God. God is eternal, okay? She is the mother of the humanity of Jesus. That's what the, the, the Bible teaches. Uh, but she, because of that special role that she played, she was honored above all women to bear the Christ child. And the Bible gives her credit for that. And that's why, that, uh, for example, if we uh, preach on Christmas morning or uh, the Sunday after Christmas, and we preach on the nativity or we preach or something related to that, it's not uncommon that a sermon we preach on Mary uh, and uh, also on Joseph, depending on which character, what it is. We recognize what trait she had, and we try to emphasize that. But that is the role that she played, a distinct role in being the human instrument or agent whereby the man Christ Jesus was born. She gave him his fleshly nature. That's what, and we give her credit for that. But she has plays no role in redemption. She is not the co-redemptrix or the co-mediatrix with, with Christ, as is, is taught. Uh, the Bible does not allow that. There's only one mediator. There's only one name. There's only one way. There's only one truth. The Bible makes that very quite clear. So if Mary was alive today, she will tell you what she told the people in, in John chapter 2. Whatever he saith to you, do it. She would point you to Christ and said, here's the one. And like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. That is what she would say. Take your eyes off of me. Look on my son who just saved the world. He's the one you look to. I was just a human instrument to bring him into the world. But uh, again, so you look to him. You don't look to me for salvation. You look to him. That was exactly what she would say to you if she had a word to say to you, to anybody else. Uh, that is what she would say today. Okay, um, one, that, that one last question about it. Sure. Jesus Christ was, became God. You, know, you say that Jesus Christ is um, Mary's child, and he 
Jesus Christ was Mary child and Jesus Christ was God in flesh. You won't say that she is the mother of Jesus Christ in flesh of God? Well, they said that the that which was conceived at first conceived of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who planted the seed within her womb so that Christ will be born. But uh, she cannot be the uh, the mother of his eternality. Uh, I mean, it is very, very obviously that Christ existed. He actually the one that created Mary. But now he comes to earth in the form of a man to redeem humankind. So how could she be the one that creates him? She is just the human instrument to create his body, the body part. But the divine part of him, which is his eternal nature, was implanted by the Holy Spirit. So you're dealing with a, a human being uh, who is God at the same time. And this is one of the great complexities of the Christian faith, that Christ is both man and God. He has to be a man because man sinned. And man has to die for human sin. But he has to be God to make that death efficacious for the whole world. Because it's not just one man he pays his sin for, he pays his sin for the whole world. So he cannot just be an ordinary man. He has to be more than an ordinary man. That's why he's both man and the God. As a man, he's qualified to die in man's place. As God, he's qualified because the righteousness that God requires, he himself provides. He's as holy as God is holy, and therefore he can uh, meet the needs, the righteous demands that God makes, uh, as a of the broken law and man's disobedience. So he's, he's the perfect sacrifice. There's no other religion that offers a Christ like us. <coughs> they, either, they can only offer a human person, but they can't offer a human divine person. <coughs> House, you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Codrington, <coughs> thank you very much for your call. <coughs> We appreciate you calling in and listening to That's Truth, listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and uh, Codrington and everyone else who is listening. We appreciate you listening and we want to encourage you to keep your focus on Jesus Christ as the number one person in your life. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 851 Uh, We are talking about the death of Christ and where it is emphasized in Scripture. We've just been looking at some verses in the book of Hebrews. Yeah, one other verse, uh, Nathan, you could probably look at is 1 John 3, verse 5. 1 John 3 and verse number 5 reads as follows, And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Yeah, that's the whole reason he came, to take away sin. And of course, to take away sin, it means that he had to die in place of us so that our, our sins were cast upon him. I, I don't think anyone can go through the Bible without seeing that the chief purpose of the entire incarnation, him becoming a human being, was not for the purpose, other, other purpose than the fact that he was designed to die according to God's calendar to bring about human redemption. That in itself also shows you how prominent this this theme of his death is not only in Bible prophecy and typology in the Bible, it's not only prominent in the New Testament, but again, it also is very prominent in regards to the whole design or purpose of his coming and his incarnation. In other words, our Lord came to die, and that adds prominence to this matter. The other thing, Nathan, is that this matter of the death of Christ is also prominent in the sense that the Bible emphasizes it is essential part of the doctrine of the gospel of salvation. And uh, I think we looked at it. Look at it again, though. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And verse 4, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Notice that Paul said, Look, I declare to you, I also preach to you, uh, and you got saved if you remembered what I, I preached to you. And he said, this is what I preached, the gospel to you. And what's the gospel? That Christ died, and that Christ was buried, and that Christ was resurrected. The point that needs to be emphasized is this. It is, the death of Christ is prominent because it's an essential to the gospel. There is no gospel without Christ's death. There's no good news without Christ's death. And, and, and one needs to understand that. So when you hear people talking about prosperity gospel and, uh, and so on and so forth, about, you know, God wants you to, uh, if you put your faith and trust in God, you can get wealth. This is a false gospel. Paul in, in Philippians talked about people who preach another gospel that he did not preach. And uh, you, at one time you had what is called a social gospel that was being preached, that the whole purpose of the church is to claim that humanity uh, solve all the social problems in the world. That was a false gospel as well. The gospel is simply that we are to call men out of the world. We are not to reform the world. We can't transform the world. We are transforming lives in the world and calling them into something called the church. And uh, any emphasis that uh, in any way diminishes the death of Christ in its preaching in regards to human salvation is a false gospel. Uh, this guy um, um, that uh, used to pre- preach this uh, positivity uh, gospel. Joel Osteen? No, not the um, Crystal Cathedral. Um, Robert, uh, his name I just can't remember, but he used to uh, have this big Crystal Cathedral, very, very popular, popular person. Again, uh, he always emphasized nothing about sin, nothing about redemption. It's all about um, making you feel good about yourself and having this good self-image. That was his whole entire uh, preaching course. And uh, clearly, that was a false misrepresentation. How many people today are damned and gone to hell because of that false gospel about um, self-actualization and, and uh, being positive and having a good self-image and so on and so forth? No mention whatsoever uh, about the, the the death of Christ and the significance of that death. Uh, terrible uh, in terms of that, but again, there's no gospel apart from his death. We have Robert Schuler, that's his name, Robert Schuler, People's uh, uh, Crystal Cathedral. We have a Facebook comment. Uh, Pastor, there seems to be a lot of modern-day Nicodemuses. Uh, there are many. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, look, I have said this, and I say it very often for the pulpit, uh, I think the church has created the situation uh, that we find in the world where they've so much emphasized the... And listen, I'm not against preaching love of Christ. I'm not against that whatsoever. Don't misunderstand me. But we preach so much about this man, we do not emphasize, for example, we emphasize coming to Christ. We don't emphasize repentance. 
You, a man cannot be saved, a woman cannot be saved without repentance. And we got to let people know and be upfront with those people when they come into our crusades and, and so on and so forth. You know, it's not about crunching numbers saying we had 10 people come forward and be baptized, uh, two dozen uh, as a result of the crusade. That is not the whole purpose of this matter. The whole thing is to get people genuinely converted. And we've got to emphasize this matter of repentance. There are people, for example, I might use an example, I've had to deal with people who come to, uh, come to a crusade and they want to get saved. But they're living in a house as common-law married people. Uh, I can't tell them, bow your head and ask Jesus into your heart and you're saved. They have to be willing to come out of that sinful situation. If you're not willing to do that, how can I offer gospel if you're not willing to repent of your sin? And, and <laughs> so this is where the challenge of the, of, the, of the church today is that the problem is that people want to ingratiate themselves into favor with the world. We want to be considered relevant. We don't want to offend anybody. We've got to get people, put a plaster on people's cancer. That's what we need to do. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about turning away from sin. It's about the reason why Christ died is to deal with the sin problem. How then can we encourage people to be living in sin and yet become part of the body of Christ. It makes absolute no sense to me, no logic to it at all, right? So that's what I mean by saying to you when you're dealing with people, you've got to give them the gospel, the true gospel, which is repentance and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, we have to tell them some harsh things. You remember a guy came to Jesus one day and said, listen, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, well, we'll keep the commandments. He said, for my youth, I've kept the commandments. And the Lord said, well, if you really, that, well, go and sell all you got and uh, give it to the poor, you'll be saved. The Bible said the man turned away and went away mad. You know what? Jesus never called him back. It is a stop here, let me explain, because he knew the man's problem was this. His money was dominating his life, and he had to surrender to the Lord. He wasn't willing to surrender that area. He didn't soften the message. He walked away, and Christ let him walk away, maybe to ponder, but he didn't soften the message to gain his favor. Be sure that you join us next week's episode. As Lord willing, we continue this topic of the death of Jesus Christ and its significance as mentioned in Scripture. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.